atmosphere life and life more abundantly. I speak the life of God in the very atmosphere. At the sound of my voice, Father, I speak that life will happen. And Lord, we just give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory. We thank you, Father, that you're here to do your will in our lives. We submit to your will, Father. We open up this atmosphere for the purposes that you've written about us before, before you even created the earth that we live on. And so, Father, I just speak into this environment this morning. I speak that purpose will be explored and exposed in the lives of the women and those listening to the sound of my voice. And, Father, I pray that we will see something we have never seen, hear something we have never heard from you today for our own lives. I speak into this atmosphere that no other spirit has permission to speak but the Spirit of God. Every other voice must be silenced and the voice of God be heard. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, Signature Worship. Thank you very much, ladies. You may have your seats. Good morning, everybody. I think we're trying to get my microphone set up. I didn't do a sound check. I'm glad I'm here. Didn't have time for a sound check. <laughs> Everyone doing all right? You had a good night? Did you ponder the things you learned yesterday? That means you are better today than you were yesterday. Amen. Isn't that a good feeling? Because it's completely the opposite of what the world tells you, right? The world says you're going to um, deteriorate. But God says you go from glory to glory. Amen? And so I just want to, um, I'm supposed to speak this morning, by the way. Did you know that? We didn't tell you. (laughs) But um, it's been a while since I've spoken at the conference. I always let the guest speaker take the whole time because they come so far away to come. But I decided this time I'll do a little slip in there, right? Give Patty a break. <laughs> so I want to tell you a couple of things about me, if you don't know who I am. Does anybody, is there anybody here that's never met me? Oh, well, look, there's people that can hear my story. Everybody else, you just have to hear it again. <laughs> so I, uh, Doug and I, I don't know where my husband is. Hello, my love. Good morning. my husband and I we have been here for 20 years and in September I believe it is September it'll be 21 years and so I was three months pregnant with Gabriel by the way the last song that we sang Gabriel wrote that song when he was 16 and he's 20 now and he went on his first missions trip at 15 and he, um, while he was over there, he was communicating with us, you know, and I said to Doug, oh my, I think our son is called to be a missionary. <laughs> and Doug's like, I, ha- I think so too. So we didn't tell him anything. He comes back, he sits us down, he wants to have a conversation with us. <laughs> He's like, I think, I said, yeah. 
I think you're right. <laughs> you're called to be a missionary. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he, um, and he wrote this song uh, sometime after he came back, I think. But, so what I did with him is, I sat down with him one night. His dad was already in bed. We're up late. Him and I were in the living room. All of a sudden, I said, you know, we should plan your life. So we planned it. <laughs> He's living it out now, <laughs> as far as we planned. <laughs> but I realized, I t- he's in Bible school, he's at Rainbow, we're going in a couple of weeks for him to graduate. This is a roundabout way of telling you who I am. I'm telling you the soft stuff first. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he, I told Doug the other day, it's a good thing that he had a plan when he went to Rama. Because if he didn't have a plan, there are a lot of people that have plans for you in Bible school. I don't know. If, at some point, we should find a picture of Gabe and put it up on the screen since he's not here. That's Melissa's thing. We'll show it sometime. But Josiah, where's Josiah? Can you stand for me, Josiah? This is the handsome Josiah. Josiah is... Um, 11 years old, <laughs> and him and his brother are nine years apart, and they, um, they have this relationship you can't get in between, which is good. So anyway, I thank God that Gabe had a plan when he went to Rama, because um, I think girls go to Rama with their plans. <laughs> and the, wor- the last thing you want is to come into our family and not be the will of God. <laughs> It'll be the worst nightmare of your life because you'll have to deal with me. <laughs> but if it's the will of God, you will be so blessed. So I'm just putting that out there to cover my son and not to be direct with anyone in particular. So, <clears throat> so while at, at uh, Rama, my son is doing Rama's two years. He said, God just told him two years, that's it. He's happy to do two years. We're happy to. Um, and he is also studying uh, business administration with Oklahoma Wesleyan University, which they have an agreement with Rama. They accept some of those credits. So he does the online school for that. And so he'll be graduating with a business degree next May. Um, and he also works for the video media of uh, Rama Bible Church and all the cool videos that they that most of the videos you see like he just redid the Rama Day video which we'll we'll play here soon um, sometime in the church and he is doing all kinds of videos so uh, the other thing he does is he plays on the worship team it depends what they need he plays the drums the keyboard the bass guitar the guitar and <laughs> I said to him the other day, you know, Gabe, when we planned your, your whole time and stuff, because he's so busy, I mean, he gets like four hours of sleep a night, because uh, he works 40 hours a week, too, at the, you know, the video editing. So I said, you know, he said, Mom, you're the one that told me when we were at camp meeting, you ought to sign up. Because <laughs> they were announcing that they needed musicians, right? And I said, Gabe, you should... I said, well, I didn't realize how much practice you'd be doing and how many services you'd be playing and all the things you'd be involved in. (laughs) So anyway, that's our family. And then my husband, oh, he shifted positions. (laughs) 
We've been married 20, in a couple of weeks, while we're traveling to go to Gabe's graduation, we will be celebrating 26 years of marriage. Amen. And we have learned so much in 26 years that it's astounding. (laughs) And 21 of those 26 years have been here. Like shocking. (laughs) Can't believe it. But we're here. Amen? And the reason we're here is because God brought us here. So when God brings you somewhere, you have to choose to stay unless he tells you to move. But the devil always wants you to move because he doesn't like stability. You know, there's a learning curve when you do something new. And so he likes when things are on edge all the time and you don't know what you're doing because then you're more vulnerable And that's when he can sneak in and kind of throw something in there that you are too busy to think about. So I'm going to talk to you today about what could you do if you could not be deceived? Right? What could you do if you could not be deceived? Right? Because... The devil's tool, he doesn't really have power. He has tools that he, it's, it's manipulated tools that God has. He takes it and manipulates it to make, do you, have you ever been in a situation where you needed like a screwdriver or something and you didn't have one to use a knife? You know what I'm saying? And you're like, or a nail, or a nail file and you're like trying to make it work. You know, you're like, well, okay. That's kind of the situation with the devil. His tools are kind of like a twisting of something God intended to be powerful. He just takes it and twists it, right? So it's really not very stable, his tools, but, but deception is, um, is an easy way out of making decisions. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Think about it. If you are being pressured to make decisions and you get an alternative to make it easier, what do you think the alternative is? It's a deception to change what the original potency of what you could have done and become could have been. Okay? So it's where the excuses of your life will live. So when we move to this area, I'm going to talk about something in a way that I'm so glad you spoke last night because I feel like it doesn't matter what I say. It will either be with equal strength or I'm going to try to be a little lower. Even if I go a little higher, harsher, it still won't be so bad. (laughs) Because you already did the couple of, you know, which is great. It's fantastic. Right? You guys are prepped? So when I came to this area, I was literally punched, lied about, kicked at, like, with words. Right? And with, by women. By women 
That's who did it. And maybe some of you are in this room that know the women that did it and were part of the women that did it. I don't know. But either way, welcome. But, (laughs) and I could not understand why women would have a problem with a woman speaking. But here's the funny thing. I had never even yet preached a message here. All I did was stand with my husband one Sunday on the spur of the moment. We stood together and made the announcements. (laughs) And it was an offense because men were in the audience. Well, I'm hoping that we have a church of men and women, (laughs) right? So we didn't know. We are just having a good old time. had no idea that there were people meeting in the prayer time discussing me. And then there was another offense. We had bulletins back then. Thank God for the, the COVID thing. We kind of threw those away. So we don't do them anymore. <laughs> Go online, you get everything. We have an app as well. So <clears throat> we did the, the, uh, the bulletin. And on the bottom of the bulletin, we would say, hello, welcome. You know, we're so glad you're here. And Doug says to me, well, you need to put pastors, Doug and Fiona, because we're both pastors. I'm like, okay. So I put pastors, Doug and Fiona. And that little S, caused me so many bullets and blows from words like you would not believe, including meetings with pastors to tell Doug how I should function while I'm in the room. Some of those people aren't pastoring today. But I'm saying this raw information to you because nobody talks about it, but it happens. And it may have happened in your life, and you're keeping it all in, and trying to uh, function with that garbage, and you wonder why there's a stench all the time. Well, it's probably not coming from you. It's probably coming from the corroded stuff that they dumped in you, right? And so I'm talking about deception because I was going along with their deception and didn't know it. So their goal was, of course, that I should stop functioning like me, And I understand you've never seen anybody like me. I get it. I think we had a president that kind of showed that too. I felt so refreshed when I saw him operate. I thought, finally. Anyway. And so I, in 2019, Doug was in Fiji on a missions trip in Fiji. Isn't that a great place to be on a missions trip? (laughs) With Gabe. And uh, I had extra time to pray because I couldn't sleep. I was just wide awake. I mean, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, woo! <laughs> so, uh, Doug and I have this thing. He rubs my feet at night, and for some reason that's like helps me go to sleep. So apparently I was in withdrawal, <laughs> and so I couldn't sleep. So anyway, I just started praying. You know, I'm praying in tongues, and then I'm just praying in tongues, and then all of a sudden, out of my mouth in English comes, you disobeyed an instruction from 18 years ago. I went, whoo, hold it. (laughs) What have I not done? You were supposed to get your doctorate and you didn't. Huh? Well, this is a problem. So I immediately went and got my laptop, opened it up. I remembered that I had visited uh, Rama to take a student from Blessed Children home there. And they had tables with colleges represented. 
And one in particular I spoke with, and because they knew I had a master's, they were talking to me about getting a doctorate, right? And so I thought, well, hey, I'll start there. So I went there, filled out the application. They didn't quite have what I wanted, but this guy called me, and he's talking about how they can set it up to be exactly what I want. They can morph this and that. So I filled out the application, pressed it three times. It wouldn't send. So I'm looking on the page for errors, no errors. I'm like, okay, and I was exhausted by then. Great, put you to sleep moment. So I thought, well, before I go to sleep, let me look up other colleges just to check and make sure I'm not like just jumping here without. So I, I searched doctoral programs, uh, business, and up popped, you know, a set of schools, and Liberty University was one of them. So I went to sleep. While I'm sleeping, I see in my sleep all the words from the other application just float off the page and landed on Liberty University. I went, oh, that's easy. Woke up the next morning, transferred all the information over to <laughs> Liberty University application, pressed send, and it went. I went, this is great. Sent it in, was accepted, and started the... So Doug, I talked to him that night, and I said, hey... The Lord just told me that I disobeyed an instruction 18 years ago. I'm supposed to start my doctorate, so I just want to let you know. He says, my love, whatever God says to do, do it. I support you. Do you notice how that conversation went? Mm -hmm. I was informing my husband. I wasn't asking his permission. (sighs) And that is shocking. You know why? because I don't want to put my husband in a position to be above God in my life. So if God asks me to do something, my answer is yes. I inform everybody else in my life that this is a new thing I'm going to do, and let's see how I can accommodate it and still be who I need to be to you. Do you see the sequence of events? So the other thing we decided was, I said, you know, but I'm not taking out no loan to do this. We need to pay cash for this. So we agreed that we'll pay cash for it. So we did. I don't know how it happened, but it happened. We paid cash for it. Yep. So last year, I was at the end of the program, and I had said when I started the program, I have a doctorate in business administration. It's called a DBA. And I said, you know, if I'm going to get a doctorate, I don't want to do some thesis I want to do a practical thing because I want to use this for coaching, you know, business leaders. Well, I started the program in May, and in June, an email went out. They announced, this is the last set of students that will have the choice to do a thesis or a case study or a coaching option. But the thesis is the last time you're going to get to do a thesis with this degree. It will now be a case study or a coaching I went, look at that. So, of course, I asked for it, so I chose the coaching. So what happened is, uh, the third, you know, last year, for the last year of your program, you pick a company that you will work with to solve a problem that you have chosen you want to solve. And the company has to give permission. You have to get a letter. The school has to approve them. They have to have enough employees. The situation has to be correct. A whole long, drawn-out process, which I was doing, and they give you that whole last year to do it. You know, you do it a dribble at a time, which is such a terrible thing for me, but that's beside the point. So, 
So I'm all set. So the final semester, we have 16 weeks left. Final semester, I'm working on. Now, my, by now, I have 200 pages worth of writing information, 50 pages of research to back up my 200 pages of writing. And I'm good to, I'm like, I'm at the end. This is great. So the company that I was going to work with, I'm working with HR. They have all these rules. I'm following their rules. We're going back and forth, four weeks. I haven't started the actual questioning of the employees as yet, the study. I'm like, okay, well, you know, can you tell me when I can get in there? And then they send a note to say, you know, I'm sorry, we will not be able to work with you. So we had about eight weeks left. And I thought, well, that's a problem. So I said, well, let me speak to the CEO. Like, can I speak to the CEO instead of just the HR person? Well, let me just talk to the main guy. So I found out that he was at one of his locations. So I called the location and said, I'd like to speak to, to the main guy. And they handed him the phone. I said, great. Talked to him. And he indicated that, no, we're not going to help. I said, okay. But you do realize that I literally have a year, you know, and I'm giving this man, nope, sorry. Okay, thank you. So I proceeded. Now I have to find a new company. And I have to hope they have the same problem I was going to solve. <laughs> and so I started frantically, right? So the word frantic came to mind. But I thought, well, I'm just going to. So here's what I started saying. I'm graduating in May. I don't care. Because the, the graduation date was May 6th. So I thought I had until like May 5th, you know. <laughs> I'm like. I'm graduating. I just kept saying that. I have nobody to do this study with. I, and it's winter Bible. Doug is away in Tulsa. So I'm calling them to tell them this. And I'm just like, I'm graduating. This is what's going to happen. I'm graduating. And then I think that was the time that something major happened at the orphanage. I was dealing with that too. So anyway, and then we had the conference. So I just was, I sent to Billy Graham Ministries, all big ministries. I thought, well, the ministries, I can, nope, 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 nope. And then one day, on so, so there were four weeks went by, so I have four weeks left. And <clears throat> a young man that was in our youth group when we lived in Tennessee had a business. And he, I just te- inboxed him and said, hey, I see you have a company. Would you be interested in doing this? I was, I was doing my, th- uh, my coaching on servant leadership. And he said, actually, that might work because I've been wanting that. Fantastic. When can we start? His mom was a co-owner with him. And so she was a fast mover, which thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I explained the situation to her. And so what I did was I trained them. <laughs> I got a list of the employees, called them, asked the questions, trained the leaders to solve the problems I found. Then, it was supposed to be a 30 days they had the opportunity, these leaders, to put into place my solutions. They had five, five days later, I called the employees. <laughs> I'm like, let's see how this went. Five days later, I called the I was shocked. Now, the employees don't know what's going on. They don't know that I have trained the leaders to solve their problems that they are saying. I was shocked to find out that the leader solved the problem. The employees were telling me, I couldn't believe. They were like, oh, the greatest thing happened. This is what happened today. This is what happened. I went, oh, this is fantastic. (laughs) So (laughs) my conclusion didn't have to say that the thing worked. It just had to say what happened. But here's the problem I'm seeing. 
if it didn't work, then it would have been like, well, really, you didn't give it enough time, you know. But because it worked, I'm like, yes. <laughs> so now I'm, so we have the women's conference happening, right? We have a guest in. I'm doing the women's conference. The guests, we're going to dinner. We're doing all this. I get home about 9, 10 o'clock at night. And I am on the computer till about 3 o'clock in the morning finishing up this. And I'm handing it into my chair, and he has to respond. But here's the thing. They, the chair and the school, they each have six days that they could respond to me. So that was my issue because now, you know. But God worked it out where the chair showed me favor, and just within hours, he would just respond to me like that. And now left the approval of my research, of my coaching project, the approval And so that left, the uh, school had to approve, you know, the whole board, like there's a whole panel of folks. And I sent it in and I said, you know, I would like to have a 24-hour turn on this, which it was a Friday night, (laughs) okay? I said, I I would like a 24-hour turn on this. Well, in my head, I was thinking a 24-hour business turn, right, like Monday evening. Saturday morning, like less than 12 hours later, my project was approved. I was like, oh my gosh. So instead of the, so I had four weeks to get this done, but it was, I was finished with everything in three. Isn't that amazing? So I was finished a week ahead of time than was necessary to get everything in so that I could be approved to walk. Because they said, you know, you could still walk and finish up and do it. I said, there is no way on this planet I'm walking without my degree qualification. But here's the catch. That was a deception. Do you see? It was giving me a way out to relax. My chair said, Fiona, nobody does this like they take years, they take like two years to finish their final project. I took two years off work to do my final project. I said, that's not me. I'm graduating in May, finished. He goes, okay. I said, that's who I am. I'm graduating in May, finished. Yeah. Because here is what I was, de- I was dealing with. I had already missed God's assignment to me for 18 years. You think I want to wait two more years? Do you see what I'm saying? The enemy comes in with deception like comfort to make you feel better, to calm down a a firm instruction. Go to Genesis chapter 3. You like my story? Delay is a deception of the devil. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature of the field which the Lord God had made. And he, Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God said, You shall not eat from every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees of the garden except the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden. 
God said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Where's the lie? She lied. What did she say that was a lie? You can't touch it. There's nowhere I read that he said don't touch it. Right? Because God told them to tend to the entire garden. So that tree was in the garden. So she was supposed to tend to it, however tending was. It may involve touching. I don't know. I'm just saying. Right? Unless you clean like I do at my house. (laughs) There's been places not touched for a while. (laughs) So I've got that principle going on. All right. That's a side note. God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Wouldn't that be comforting? After God said, you're going to die if you touch that tree. It's like, you're not going to die. It's not going to be that bad. he, He didn't mean it that strictly. Like it's God. I mean, he's your friend. Like he comes and talks with you guys and stuff. I'm sure he'll give you a pass. I am a friend of God. (laughs) Right? Do you see the ease in which he's making her feel comfortable with the deception that he presents? Every time the devil talks, his tone has seeds of deception in it. Go to John 10.10. He cannot speak to you unless he has come to fulfill his purpose. He has less people, less angels, less, he has less of a team to work with than God. He has no tools except the ones he can manipulate. So the devil has less to work with you than with God, than what God has. So when the devil shows up, and, and he's not omnipresent, so it's not him showing up. It's his habits and the people that have been trained by him. When they show up in your life to give you direction, it is funded and solidly equipped with deception. And John 10.10 shows us what the plan of deception is. The thief does not come except to steal. You see, he doesn't come unless this is what he's doing, okay? To steal and to kill and to destroy And then Jesus tells you why he comes. He said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So having life is not what Jesus said. Having life more abundantly is what he said. So settling for, oh, if I could just be happy, that's deception. Because your barometer is too low. There's still something on the table that you haven't picked up. The more abundantly part. So women especially make choices. Well, if I could just do this, then, then that would be good. If I could just do that part, like that would be good, you know. If I could just be good enough. Mm-hmm. But... When you think that way, you're missing the more abundantly part. Do you see? So I could have settled for the, well, I, I made, I mean, I finished my class. I, I just, I mean, anybody would understand. <laughs> like, this is totally out of my control. I did everything I could. And I, I mean, I, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'll tell you what I'm supposed to do. I speak. 
I'm a speaking, creative being. I speak. Especially when the person that decided they are going to pull out is an unbelieving male chauvinist. (laughs) Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't get to decide what happens to me. I was giving you the chance of a lifetime to fix your failing company. The only reason why your company is still surviving is because somebody from our church works there and their belief in God is holding it up. But if they walk away, you're in big trouble. Do you understand? So before this, go to Psalm 35. I'm going to show you what God had me do. Psalm 35. Everybody okay? You learned something so far? Psalm 35. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm just going to give you a glimpse, right? You know, contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of Sheila and Buckner and stand up for my help. Draw out also the spear and javelin and close up the way of those who pursue and persecute me. Say to me, I am your deliverer. And I, the Lord, had me (laughs) go to this uh, chapter and read it out loud. And agree with it. So I started. Well, thank you, Lord. Yes, I will. So I started reading. And then if you go down, it talks about all the things he's planning to do to people. And I'm like, um, I can't say that. And he said, well, you're going to have to be able to. So it took me three weeks of saying that verse every day until I believed it could happen for me. Because I was always the one that gives people the opportunity to change, even though they were flat out trying to kill me. I still had hope. Give them a chance. Give them a chance. And God wanted me to know that I had to stand firm on this in faith. So in order to stand in faith, you have to agree with it and believe that it would happen for you. Do you see what I'm saying? And when, if you hear that it has happened, you cannot be all sorry about it and soft because what you're doing is you're saying God is doing something unfair. He should have had mercy and he didn't. Do you understand what I'm saying? So a situation occurred at the orphanage which was out of our control and as a, as a result of rebellion of one of somebody. And there was, there was somebody there staying at the time they got stuck during COVID, two people together. Uh, imagine two people trying to kill you at the same time working together, but they appear to be Christians. So anyway, and uh, when this happened, uh, the person decided to call on social media to show up at an event and ridicule my family's name, my name, call for the children of blessed children. Where are the, where are the staff? Where are the children? We see nobody here. Nobody's here to represent and just like broadcasting. So somebody sent me the link and said, do you see what's happening live on social media right now? 
No. I look at the link, and I'm like, who? And this, it's a man with makeup on. I, thought, I later found out he's married to a man. And I'm thinking to myself, who is this fool? <laughs> well, this fool was a well-known social media. There were hundreds of thousands of views happening in real time. So I started getting messages like, what is going on over there? Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because I was already being questioned about my position of keeping the home open because nobody knew me that well. They knew my parents, right? So, uh, <laughs> so this, and then the person announced who told them to go there and do that. And they started harassing my kids, which you don't, that's just unacceptable. So I found out that the person, so, so God had me prep for this. And what will happen, and this is an automatic protection. When you believe it, it becomes your permanent belief system. So I believe it and let it go, right? So, so here's what I just found out, I didn't know. I just found out the person that authorized this, um, this person to slander us was planning to come to the country. They're from outside of the country. They were going to visit recent, like two weeks ago. And they texted me to say, I hope we can put our differences aside for the sake of the children because I love the children and they love me. And I texted back, no, you have no permission to go there. And you have... Uh, I forgot the words I used, but I said our children were harshly scarred by this and I fixed it. So you're not going back, ever. Well, I declared, I have authority over that area. So I declared he cannot enter the country ever again. Because when he comes, he does harm. So I forbid him from entering the country. Well, I just found out that he had to have an emergency heart surgery, open heart surgery, like two days before he was planning to travel, so he won't be traveling there. The other person, I found out, is deathly ill in New York. Now, I had this feeling of like, oh, I, I don't want him to die, and then I stopped because I remembered what I believed, what I agreed with God on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm telling you all this to tell you that sometimes if you're not careful, you could be deceived into resurrecting your enemy again. And if God puts words in your mouth and you catch yourself saying something and you go, oh, say it. Because you probably would have never thought to say it. I would never thought to say it, let him have this. I just said what I want to happen. Right? Now, here's the part that I need you to understand. The reason I would say something like that. You remember when Jesus saw the fig tree and there were no figs on it? And he went up to eat figs because he was hungry. He had a reason to go up to the tree. He wasn't just inspecting to see if the tree was bearing fruit. He was hungry. So the tree was supposed to serve him something to eat so his hunger would go away and he can move on. Well, when he, did, when he discovered that the tree was deceiving because it looked like it should have fruit, but it didn't, he said, 
no man will ever eat of you again. Something to that effect. Jesus did not just let it go for the next guy. He found something that could harm somebody else and he took care of it. When you discover someone or something that could harm somebody else, don't just walk away and be happy that you were free of them. You deal with them in the spirit realm. You say what will happen and what won't happen. That person is never going to contact my kids again, ever. That's just what's going to happen. Because he brings no value to the table. He robs them of joy. And it's my job to protect them. That's my responsibility. You understand what I'm saying? So I have a right that I have encountered this person that did damage. Why would I just, well, you know, we just have to have, we have to be kind. Yeah, I'm kind to my kids. I'm kind to the people God put me in charge of. Do you understand? I recently had to fire somebody from the orphanage who had been there for about five years. They were actually living in my house, and their job was to take care of the house. And when I visited in November and I visited in January, I observed some things that were very not me or not my parents. And I didn't like it. So I gave them opportunities to change with information to change, to train to change, because, okay, they don't know. And they refused to do anything I asked. Just refuse. I said, well, then your end date is this. And it was shocking because nobody could believe that I would do that. Well, yeah, I'll do anything to protect what God put me in charge of. Do you understand? I prayed and sought the Holy Spirit. What should I do? This was the instruction. Well, then I have no more questions. I just execute. And I feel like as women, you get deceived into bringing them back. And when I find a narcissist, I cut them off because the strength of a narcissist is in the conversation they have with you. A narcissist never wants to write to you. They want to talk to you. If you look at the devil, when he went to deceive anybody, he would always want to talk to them. You see, Jezebel was the only one that wrote a letter. Look at the effect it had, a letter, you know. But, but deception lives in the instruction of an enemy to water down what you were supposed to do. If healing is the end result you were expecting, don't settle for I feel less pain. Do you understand? I feel less pain is deception. Your goal is complete healing. That's where life more abundantly is. You're heading there. So don't let the devil say, this is the time you stop. Take what you can get. You feel better. No. Okay, so you see how rough I'm speaking? I mean, I don't know. I think I'm being rough. I'm doing it on purpose. (laughs) I want you to speak that way to an enemy. When you have had a conversation with an enemy, they don't want to talk to you anymore. They'll go through other people. You got to know that too. Right? And they'll use words like, she is so unapproachable. I heard that a lot. 
I'm unapproachable by the enemy, yeah. Because I have a line drawn that you can't cross. So even your words can't get crossed up over it to me to tell me what to do. So let me get back to my story of being here for 20 years and being attacked and shot and kicked. And So I remember one day I said to the people, I said, you know, I'm about eight months pregnant right now. I was pregnant with Gabe. If you could tell the people that don't like me to wait till at least I give birth. I did. I actually said that in a meeting. I said, you know, at least if you could tell them to wait until after I give birth is my first child. Maybe my hormones are off, you know. My response might not be the beautiful chocolate you expect. So <laughs> I'm carrying the boy. So I have a feeling it's going to be pretty big. So let's just wait till after I give birth. And then they can start again, and I could see how I feel then. <laughs> I mean, I was 29 years old, so, you know. And I don't know, they just looked at me. I guess... I came in with that conversation like that. I didn't prep it. So I think they were shocked that I knew they were talking about me. (laughs) And I still treated them kindly. So it's like, how long did she know? Well, I've known from day one. But hey, that's beside the point. So one of my concerns was that my son that was in my womb was subject to all these things that would be said about me, to me, you know, all that. And so one day recently, I taught a message at Woven that something about your mind, you know, how to get out things about what people said about you and replace it with what God says, blah, blah, blah. So I'm telling Gabe this message, you know, Gabe, this is what the Lord showed me as a revelation. So just in case, you know, this, you could do this, right? Okay, I said, I'm sorry, Mom, what are you talking about? I said, you know, like if people have said things about you and then when you're trying to do something, those voices will come up, you know, to Henry, he goes, I'm sorry, people do that? <laughs> I said, what do you talk? What do you mean people do that? He goes, like people keep other people's voices in their heads, and then when they try to do something that they hear those they hear that phrase and then they, he goes, I'm sorry, I, I can't identify with what you're saying. I said, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm like, this is great. <laughs> oh my gosh it worked (laughs) so he could not identify with that concept at all because he just does whatever God tells him to do he'll just do it like he just does it (laughs) and I went yes yes thank you Jesus (laughs) do you see what I'm saying but all those things so here's what happened to me though that I didn't know this is why I'm telling you about deception I I had, I was going through a personality change and I didn't know. Uh Uh-huh. And so last year, the last year of my degree, I took a class, I had to take a a couple of electives. So one of the electives I chose was organizational behavior. And I I turned it off. I I said, I'm going to take another class. And then I just felt the urge, like I needed to take that class. And I said, okay, well, I'll take it. So I took it. Well, part of the class was to do a Myers-Briggs personality test, which I've done before in my master's, right? So everything in the class I'd already done before, so that's why I didn't want to take the class. But anyway, I'm taking this test, and they give you a website to go to, and then you take the test, and then you get the thing, and you have to write about it, blah, blah, blah. So I go on the website, take the test, 
and, and I know what my personality type is based on that test. So the thing that's coming up is not my personality type. So I'm like, okay, I must have answered something wrong. I'll take it again. I took the test three times. I answered different questions. And all that changed was the percentage of different things that I was high and low in. But the personality type stayed the same. I went, we have got a problem. <laughs> My personality style came up as Gabriel's personality. Now, if anybody knows Gabriel <laughs> and anybody knows me, we know that is not true. So I said, Lord, what was my personality in, in my master's? Now, mind you, my master's was 27 years prior. So I, I, remembered what I, I remembered the letters, so I typed those letters in to see what the description was. Because now I'm reading the description of this new personality, and I'm thinking, that's just so not me. Like, gosh, this, no. I don't want to do these things and be these things. And then they show you people that you're like, you know, like famous people, like leaders and stuff that you would be like. I'm like, none of these people invigorate me. Like I would not want to be known like that person. I mean, they're too calm. Like this is not me. So I typed in the letters I was supposed, I thought I was. Oh, I typed that and I started reading. I went, oh my gosh, this is me. This is so me. It felt so good. I was like, Oh, this is like drinking fresh water. Like, like I came back to life, right? And then I said, well, let me see who else is like this. So I go down to the bottom of the page, and would you like to guess one of the people on there like this? They were just robbed of a very high position in the country. In case I'm being censored, they'll have to activate all that. Yeah, that's me. That personality. So I understand now why it was a shock when I came here and people had a problem because I went, huh, yeah, that is a bit tough to handle. But if God brought me here, they'll just have to deal with it. Because if I give a watered-down version of me, nobody wins. Nobody wins. It's, it's, it's the, it's the uh, consistency for God to spit out of his mouth what occurs. It's lukewarm. If I cannot be me to you. Do you understand? I, I give, I'm giving you lukewarm stuff. So I'm cutting things with a dull knife. And, and it's causing, it would cause more damage than good. You understand what I'm saying? So I quickly changed that. And ever since then, it's been so good. It only has been recently, by the way. <laughs> because it was just last year that I discovered this. But I had to repent for being another personality. I repented. And here's why you repent. You repent because it allows you to remove anything of disobedience associated with the thing you're repenting for. It gives you a clean slate like it never happened. Okay, go to um, Psalm 139 verse 23. Everybody okay? You see how quick, how, how I say that a lot? Because I know. <laughs> Psalm 139, verse 23. If any of you have had the experience of coming to me with a problem, 
you've noticed that I stop you in the middle of your explanation. I cut you off and I give you the solution. And for women, that's just a problem because that means I'm, I don't care. Well, I don't care for you to keep that problem. I have a solution. Would you like the solution? Because if you keep going to the end of the problem, I have now come in agreement with you on the problem. And you don't want me to agree on something you don't want. Because you'll get it in a high potency level. It'll just happen. When I agree with things, it happens. So you don't want to get me to the end so we're both in agreement. You don't want me nodding all the way through. Oh, 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 no, I stop. I go, okay, here's what's happening. Let me explain. Is this, this, this what's happening? Yeah. Okay, good. Here's what you need to do to solve the problem. Well, it leaves women who are used to being victims very unfulfilled. Because the deception is that you have someone to talk to. That's the deception. What you really need is someone to solve your problem. From a perspective, you may not be seeing it. So God has put giftings in us to help us move on. The goal is to keep going, right? The goal is not to set up camp and bring all your decorations in and have a, a little, uh, what do you call them, um, a support group. When my parents both had cancer, right, at the same time, they, uh, the hospital, they were insistent that I join a support group for cancer. I said, no. <laughs> they said, but this is so much. Nobody could be able to handle what you're doing. Yes, I'm handling it. Thank you. You've just met the first person that could do that then, apparently. I had nine different doctors that I basically talked to daily. And every day, one of my parents had to go to the hospital for some treatment or the other. I, I put a gag order on people that visited my house to see my parents that they're not allowed to speak like my parents are going to die. That's unacceptable. You don't get to say that here. When my mom spent two months in the hospital, they go visit her. They could see white, pale woman in pain. I said, you, I give them a speech outside the hospital room. You are not allowed to speak and act as if this is the last time you're going to see mama. That's forbidden. We're believing for healing. That's what's happening. And her hospital room had all the scriptures and everything, right? The doctors are telling me to uh, call in... Uh, it's not hospice, but it's the other thing before that in the hospital where they give you all the meds, and I forgot what they're called. But uh, does anybody remember? So I was, in that, I was in Doug's office. Now, mind you, I'm getting like three hours of sleep a night, maybe, interrupted, you know, on a couch because my mom refused to sleep in a room, so I was just on the couch while she slept. But uh, this doctor called me and said, I was told to call you to set up this thing for your mom that uh, for comfort care. And I said, comfort care for what? <laughs> he said, well, ma'am, you know, for her end of life. Who decided her end of life? <laughs> right? He said, well, well, 
I said, well, okay, I'm going to tell you something, and I'd like you to tell the other doctors, and I'd like to talk to all the doctors involved with my mom. He was like, okay. I said, yes, I'd like a meeting, please, in her room on this, you tell me when, so all the doctors can be in there for this meeting. So we had, they all showed up in the room, right? I said, let me explain something to everybody. I don't want anybody ever again to call me and tell me that they're going to give me the opportunity to give my mom death care or whatever you call it. We are speaking life here. We're not speaking death, and that's what we're talking. So I don't want to hear, don't ask me another question about it. Don't, don't make phone calls about it. It's over. So Grace was there, my sister, who's much calmer than me. And she was like, wow. <laughs> I'm speaking to doctors in this way, right? Because here is why. My parents had already decided they're going to die by the age of 70 because some fool told them that when they got saved that that's what the Bible said. So they had believed that their whole life. And And then maybe you'll have a few more years, but that's just like maybe, okay? So they had that belief system in them, which I was fully aware of, right? I think it got enhanced more when they realized all the struggles in their eyes, which I was doing quite fine, I think. And, and so they probably just thought, you know what? We just need to, like, let this go. But I decided, see, I wasn't going to agree with that. The records of heaven has to put in writing what you agree with. Do you understand what I'm saying? So my records in heaven vehemently says, I don't agree with that. So the words from anybody that would say, you need to do this, I disagreed with. So, is this story boring here? Are you good? I'll tell you more. So I'm going to tell you more. So one Saturday, so mom's out of the hospital, she's on our couch, therapist is coming in the woman's throwing a ball everybody oh mom look videotaping her so then they have um a nurse that will come in because she had an iv um one of those things i don't know what you call it and i had to give her iv and blah 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 so saturday the doors are open it's a beautiful day outside we opened the house to air it out i decided to rearrange my china cabinet god knows why i have no idea it's like i didn't like I don't know what my brain was doing, but I was rearranging the china cabinet because it was, I didn't like what it looked like. It just looked cluttered to me. So I emptied the entire china cabinet out on the dining room table. I'm, I mean, there's stuff everywhere. Because my mom refused to, for me to be in another room than where she was. All, 24-7, I had to be in the same room with her at all times. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to do something. So... In walks this lady. She is at the door and she says, hello. And we're like, hello. And my mom and dad sit on the couch. And she says, I'm here to see Rom Day and Fiona, please. I said, okay, I'm Fiona. And this is Rom Day. <laughs> my mom's name, Rom Day. But she's known as Sheila. And the woman starts looking. She walks into our house and she's looking down the hallway like to look for bedrooms or something. Right? And she's like, it, who is there? Is there anybody in the bedrooms? I'm like, um, no. <laughs> she didn't believe it was my mom, right? So she goes up to my mom, are you Ramde? Yes. 
So <laughs> she says, we're from the Office of Aging. And there's been a report filed against you, me, for um, um, elderly abuse. So <laughs> I am just standing there in shock. I'm just like, oh, that's so odd. Well, my parents just about lost it. I mean, lost it. Because in their minds, they're like, there's no more this woman could do. Like, we're just thinking, what else could, you know. So I sit at the table. She said, you know, if we could chat. I said, well, I'd like to know who reported me. Well, six doctors from the hospital reported you. I went, wow, that's enormous. (laughs) Do I get to know who they are? No, 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 that's not. Okay, no problem at all. What are the charges? Like, what do you do? Take me in? What do we do? (laughs) I mean, what do you... I've never in my life been accused of something like this. But here is what I've done to the enemy. I have caught him abusing people. And they have been freed from that abuse. So what do you think he's trying to do? Do you understand what I'm saying? You've got to know where the deception is. But you've got to know who you are and what you're doing. So when you do things, you do it out of love. Love never fails. So even if you mess it up, because you did it in love, it can't fail. It can't give you a failure result ever. So this lady's sitting there and she's like, um, well, it said that uh, the patient is bedridden and unresponsive and you refuse to admit them to the hospital. I said, yes, I remember a phone call asking me, begging me to admit my mother to the hospital. And here's what the doctor said. Well, Fiona, it was a female doctor. She was all calm. Well, Fiona, honey, you've got to be so exhausted. And if if you allow us to admit your mother, our nursing team will care for her. And she was about to say the end of life, right? But she remembered my words ringing in her ears that never say those words to me. And, 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 for, and then this way, it will give you a chance to sleep and get some rest and recover. I said, recover from what? Do you see? I said, no. I said, my mother does not want to be admitted to the hospital. Now, if my mom had said, Fiona, I'd like to be admitted to the hospital because you're doing a lousy job caring for me, so let's just go. I'd be like, yeah, right? But my mom did not want to go. She had just spent two months in the hospital and finally came home, right? And I said, the answer from my mother is no. So I, well, would you like me to override her free will? So no, but thank you. She, here's what she says. I understand because my father just passed away. And I remember how rough it was. And I had to hand over care. And it was the most awful thing I had to do because I felt so guilty. And I'm thinking, honey, don't put your guilt on me. Like, I'm not doing this because I don't want to feel guilty. I'm doing this because I don't want to do it. (laughs) Okay? And my mother, and I remember when my mom got sick the first time. My mom got sick with cancer at 65. It was all over her internal organs. Every organ in her belly was covered in cancer, right? She came. And the doctor said um, they were going to do surgery. They thought it was her ovaries. It wasn't her ovaries, right? 
So he was going to remove her ovaries. And I said, Mom, you know, it's odd. You shouldn't leave the earth with parts removed. That's odd. You shouldn't have things removed out of your body. So I don't know what he thinks he's doing, right? So sure enough, he goes in. 20 minutes later, he comes out. We're like, um, that's not good. 20 minutes you come out? And it's supposed to be like a four-hour surgery? Why is he out in 20 minutes? You know, this could go either way here. And he said, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, but I couldn't do anything. We just sewed her back up because every organ in her belly is covered with cancer. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. He says, well, I said, what's the solution? He's looking at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> this woman is covered in cancer. I said, well, what's the solution? And he said, well, um, I guess we could do chemo to debulk. Sounds good to me. We'll do chemo to debulk. So she did six weeks of chemo, and we, so I would pray over the chemo. In the name of Jesus, the message that's going through this body is that cancer must go and no other cell is affected. Because when they were telling us all the death benefits of chemo, the thing, I said to the lady, how does this chemo work? She says, well, it sends a message. And the word message just popped up at me. I thought, oh, I'll send a message. So <laughs> every time I would go with her and I would send a message, right? Well, six weeks later, she goes to the doctor for consultation to have surgery, which they really were just like playing around. And when they did the scan, he came out and he said, we'll have to run the scan again. Okay. He put his head down and he said, I've never seen anything like it. There's no cancer in your body whatsoever, right? So remember, she was 65, right? So she had her death sentence that she put on her own life was 70. So we agreed in prayer that this has to go. It was just her. But one of the instructions the Lord gave me was, whatever you do, don't leave her and leave the country or anything. Just stay with her the whole time. Well, I didn't know what that meant. Well, here there was stuff going on in Guyana that... Technically, I should have been the one to go. Like everybody's like, Fiona needs to go. No, Fiona don't need to go. She's staying right here. Because that's what God said. Stay right here. Somebody else can go solve the problem. You understand what I'm saying? But you see how the devil will create scenarios to pull you away from the instruction. And the scenario will be the easier option, but it's a trap. Because it's designed to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Okay, so my mom went back to the orphanage cancer free until like four years later. I told people I've never seen cancer work so hard to kill people. My dad died of cancer that has a 0.0001% death rate. My mom died first in August and my dad died in October. And when my mom died, my dad just like, he said, Fiona, I have never felt such pain in my life. It's so deep inside. I've helped so many people after they've lost a loved one because he was a pastor. But this pain I've never felt before. And from then he just like. So he went to the hospital, blah, blah, blah. He's on his deathbed by choice. He had to choose if he wanted to die or live. And he is signing his will. Because we didn't get to do it before. So we brought in the notary. We had to get witnesses. Lisa and Stephen were the witnesses to this will. The doctors are all looking at us. They think that I'm making him sign some will to hand something over. I'm like, folks, you have no idea. We just don't want to have all this paperwork to do. Because, and, um, so, and the Lord told me, make sure your dad bless you guys before he goes. Because he didn't think about that. Because I was just so exhausted, you know. And the next morning I went, I said, Dad... You can choose. He had a tube in his mouth, and they were concerned if they took the tube out, they don't know how long, you know, he'd be able to breathe. 
the option was to have a, one of those trach things and hook up to a machine for the rest of your life. And I was like, I said, Dad, these are the options. I said, whatever you want to do, we're here for you. He goes, I want to be with, so he wrote it down several times. I want to be with God. I want to be with God. I want to be with God, right? So, uh, long story short, it was a whole big thing. But my dad, he blessed everybody, you know, all the grandkids, you know. And when he was finished with last prayer, he goes, (laughs) (laughs) we're like, I'm like, well, dad, (laughs) that's not quite how it works. (laughs) But hey, (laughs) like, take me now. I'm ready. Let's go. (laughs) So he, uh, so we're like, well, what will happen is we'll just, we'll take the tube out and they'll medicate you so you don't feel pain. But we don't know how long, you know, this thing. He's like, <laughs> so he didn't struggle. He was strong to the end. And one of the things that happened with the cancer was he had those radiation treatments that changed his voice, his voice box, right? So what I did was I played sermons that he preached here that we had already recorded, you know, on our website. And I took my phone and put it next to his ear and played his real voice for him as we were waiting for him, you know. And he kept holding our hands when he felt we were going to release. We're like, no, Dad, somebody else is going to hold your hands. So we each have a turn holding your hands. Okay, but his grip was strong to the end. But see, that's victory. I said all that to say, that's victory. I said, you know what I said to the devil? You know what? My parents already decided 70, but it's going to happen my way. It's going to happen how we say. So I wanted my mom to be in the ER, the emergency rooms, the the, um, ICU, with all the windows. So, (laughs) doctor, my mom kept a, um, you know, you could resuscitate. What's the, the DNR thing, but she kept it where you could be resuscitated, right? So my mom, (laughs) this woman was smart. So she's looking at me because at the end she couldn't talk. She like had a stroke or something, so she couldn't speak. But she's looking at me, and they're having this conversation with me about her, um, me removing the DNR, right? But my dad was the one that had to do it. So my dad kept saying to them, whatever Fiona says, whatever Fiona says. I was like, Dad, well, no, no, whatever you say, Fiona. I said, so here's what we want. The doctor came out of surgery to accommodate, to talk to me about this because I wouldn't listen, I wouldn't talk to the, I wouldn't do what I want me to do. I said, here's the deal. She said, look, we know what's happening here. I said, yes, we do. She said, so, I said, here's what I want. I want her to go up in an ICU room, situated. That's where I want her to go from. Can you accommodate that? She goes, I said, she talked to the doctor. She said, get her to an ICU room, set her up, because they didn't know how long she would live, right, from there. I said, they're like, well, we don't. I said, listen, we could keep talking about this, or, you know. Because they wanted to put her in a regular room that she spent two months in. I remember how dark that room was. I was like, we're not going to fit in there for the first. We're not going to fit in there. I don't want to be in this stuffy room. I want to be in a room with a glass window. Yeah, yeah. So you know what? They put her up in an ICU room. The ICU people, you know, they have their politics at the hospital. You know, this doctor says that and this doctor. So they're coming out trying to. I said, listen to me. This could be fast or it could be slow. The time you're taking to come have this conversation with me, we could go back there right now. As soon as I go back there and I know that my mom is all set up, 
and she's not going to be removed because I took off the thing, I'll, I'll change it to DNR. Well, that's not how it works. Well, that's how it's going to work for me. You understand what I'm saying? And they're like, well, let me go talk to somebody. I said, well, you better talk fast because we don't know here. <laughs> so sure enough, they're like, fine, we'll do it. So as soon as we got in the room, I said, I will keep my word. We can do the DNR. Yeah. Deception. It always wants you to settle for what you didn't plan to have. Right? The other thing I said is I am not paying one penny for the cost of cancer. Cancer is going to pay its own bill. I refuse. The devil will pay his own bill. Because even though my parents had this 70-year thing, they were deceived into it. So you're going to play by my rules because you're in my house. The other rule I had is nobody dies in my house. You got to die somewhere else. You don't get to die in my house. <laughs> okay? So, would you want to be my enemy? That's how the devil should see you. You understand what I'm saying? Every person he sends to attack you should say, no, no, I don't want that assignment. You need to be that strong towards the enemy, but just as strong towards solving problems that you were brought here to solve. You understand what I'm saying? Did I lose anybody? Okay. So I have three pages of notes of which you have none. (laughs) Let's go to Daniel 11.32. I still have half an hour. Can you handle half an hour more? Daniel 11.32. Wow, my hair is really long. I need to get a haircut. realize it grew that long wow it's pretty all the way down there man wow okay uh, all right daniel eleven thirty two. you see how I, I calmed it down there for you listen to me the devil has deceived women too long he's also deceived the men but i'm not talking to the men but hey there's men here So take the women thing and change it to men. Um, The devil can't accomplish deception in your life unless he uses a person to do it. Make sure in your life you're not that person. Don't be a co-worker with the devil. Because if you do his job, you become his co-worker. Think about it. So in this church, we don't tolerate strife. Like, at all. Like, if you come to me to complain about somebody, you walk away with what your problem is in the situation. So like... If somebody comes and tells me about somebody, I will never talk about the other person to this person like they're right. I will say, what's your problem? Well, in this situation, I think you need to do this, this, and this. So they walk away, and they just found a whole list of things they need to do. Right? And whether I talk to the other person or not is none of their business, and they'll never know. And the other person will never know 
who would have talked to me about them or point out a problem. You understand? That's how we don't do strife. So the devil will want leaders to become judges between fights. And it's not your job. Your job is to lead, to take people somewhere, not to, to part fights. That is not your job. The job of a judge is God's job. I remember saying yesterday about what you judge you can't have and all that, and I realized I should probably clarify that. We are to judge fruit, right? We judge fruit. But, and the judgment is bitter or sweet. That's it. Bitter fruit, sweet fruit. Bitter fruit, sweet fruit. Then we know what tree it came from. So when we judge it, our decision is, do I eat the fruit or do I not? That's it. Not, do I talk bad about the tree that the fruit came from? And do I compliment the other tree that the fruit came from? Neither is your business. You understand? Your business is, when you decide that's, that's bitter fruit and that's sweet fruit, which one do I eat from? You eat from, like... The sweet fruit. You understand? And that's it. God will judge the the tree. You can dry up something from the root to tell it not to operate in a place again so nobody has to go to it. But you're not going to go tell everybody, guess what I did? It should be evident the thing was dried up. Remember when Jesus came back when they were passing? It was Peter that pointed out, oh my God. Jesus didn't go, come guys, let me show you. What happened? No. Peter had to point it out. Okay, here's another deception. Don't wait around to see what happens. Keep going. If somebody reports to you that, hey, I just heard this, you go, oh, all right then. I had to learn. All right then. Don't stop and say, oh, Lord, give them mercy and resurrect my enemy again. Gosh, I did that so many times. Ridiculous. One enemy hung out with me for nine years. And she was a narcissist and I didn't know it. I didn't know much about narcissists then. I know now though. Catch them pretty quick. What were we reading? Okay, Daniel 11.32. You got that? All right. And such as violate the covenant... He shall pervert and seduce with flatteries. Deception comes with flatteries, by the way. But the people who know their God shall prove themselves strong and shall stand firm and do exploits for God. Right? Now go with me to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. So the people that know their God... Okay, keep that in mind. Now we go to Matthew 22:37. Everybody with me? And he replied to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." And the amplified says intellect. Okay? Now, if you really love God in that way, 
Would you know God? Would you ever love somebody that way that you don't know? Or if you start loving them that way, you wouldn't get to know them? Ladies, if you love God this way, would you not know him? Get to know him better? And then what is the result supposed to be? Exploits. Great exploits. Do you see? We're talking about the levels. Yeah, here's a level. Why do you have to look at other people that do great? You, you know, my testimony, some people are like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. Well, keep saying that and, well, there's a high possibility you won't ever. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? But here's what happens with the love that people develop with God. It's the type of victim love. Oh, thank you for loving me so much, even though I'm so unworthy. And I'm such a mess. And oh, I messed up, but at least you love me. Like, what kind of love? Like, seriously. Like, imagine being married to your spouse, your husband or wife, and, and you're like, Thank you so much for loving me, even though I have affairs with other women nightly. Like, would you be keep, like, serious, like, and, and they do love you because of that, and that's why you love them, because they put up with it. So if our love of God is just because he puts up with stuff, do we really love him at the level he's asking us to love him at? What happens when you become perfected? Are you then, you have nothing to love God about? What would your relationship with God look like if you love him for him, not for you? So my relationship with God, I love God like he is the top cheese. Ever since I was little, I would always think, oh my God, thank God my parents came as slaves from India. Because if they didn't, I would have been a Hindu. And I would have been such a staunch Hindu. I would have been the yogi master in some temple somewhere. <laughs> because I go all in. And I'm like, thank God I know the number one God of, the, like, of all gods. Like the, as a kid, I would think that. So when I went to school and I would be ridiculed every single day at school because I was a preacher's kid. And if I wore a new uniform, which everybody else wore a new uniform at the beginning of the year, of the school year, I was ridiculed from head to toe that my parents stole the church money. That's why I had a uniform. If I had a pencil, the, your dad stole the church money. That's why you have a pencil. I have lunch. Your dad, this every day, every single day, this is what I heard. And I would just think, like, wow, if they only knew what I knew. Like, I'm literally serving the number one God. I like number one. So for me, this was like I got in at the perfect opportunity. Like I was born into a family that served the number one God. Like this was how I felt about God. So it didn't matter what people ridiculed me about my relationship with God. I would just smile and go, they have no idea. Like they just don't have any idea. And that was just in me. And you couldn't get me to change that. You know? Now, the bad teaching I grew up with, because it was such a mixture of foolishness, 
was, you know, if something bad happens to you, God's punishing you or whatever, you know. So I remember I went to college. This is so funny. I went to a Church of God college, and my roommate was charismatic. And she was the only charismatic on the whole floor, and I became her roommate. And the reason I became her roommate was because she had just done a missions trip to Ghana, Africa, and my um, RA, the resident director, thought I was from Ghana instead of Guyana. So <laughs> since I was the first one in the room, right, I was the first one to have the room, the, the resident director said, okay, Fiona, you are in a great position. I said, awesome. I'm like fresh off the ship. Like, I'm totally clueless about America, right? So I said, great. She said, since you're the first one in the room, you get to choose what type of roommate you want. So are you a morning person, a night person? Do you want somebody to... So I gave her my criteria. I said, the first thing is, I don't want someone from the South because I'll pick up the accent, and I don't want to have a Southern accent. I said, the second thing is, I like to stay up really late. That's when I get inspiration and I could study. So I don't want somebody who has to go to bed really early. And I had some other things. So she, when she found out my roommate was from Ghana, she didn't ask any other questions. She was like, oh, my gosh, I have the perfect roommate for you. So I'm there. My roommate, the school is in Tennessee. So my roommate and her whole family had driven down after church that afternoon. So you could imagine where she's from somewhere around there that you could drive. So I opened the door, and she's like, hi. And I went, oh, my God. She's from the South. And she has this equal, perspe- you know, perplexed look on her face because she's like, and she told me later, she thought I was from Ghana, right, which means I should be extremely darker than I was, and my hair should look different. But I, she was just like, and her family's behind her going, and I'm in the room like, Welcome. <laughs> we turned out to be the best thing that ever happened on that campus. It was the roommate I was supposed to have. Isn't that awesome how God works? But if she was not a night person, she had the, Texas, the Tennessee draw like the Tennessee draw. But here's the thing. She was charismatic, a word I never heard. She knew all about Brother Hagen. And all this stuff, right? Which I was hearing these people. So Doug was at the school, and and in the in the lunchroom, these guys, these theological students, would be in the corner talking to this guy about um, prosperity and healing, right? And they would be like arguing with him all the time. So I said to Gina, like, what is this all about? Like, what the heck is going on? Why is there argument? I've never been in a place where people are arguing about prosperity and healing in my life. I was like, what the heck? So she goes, well, you know, they don't believe in Brother Hagin's teaching about you can be healed, period. They just believe if you want to be healed, you can. I said, well, what's wrong with that? Yeah, if God wants to heal you, he'll heal you. Well, you know that's not true. Oh, yeah, that's not true. I'm thinking to my head, that's not true? <laughs> so then I had this major sinus infection like it would not. I, had, I would stuff tissues in my nose like that's. A college student, I'm walking around with this stuff in my nose, right? So, so Doug comes up to me one day. We joined this club, you know, the spiritual life club. And he comes on the piano. I thought, this arrogant person, who does he think he is? And he goes, well, would you like to be healed of that? Well, of course. And I've already prayed about it. Thank you very much, right? He goes, he goes well, you know, God can heal you like now. Uh, would you like me to pray for you? Well, I guess. So he prays for me. 
And Gina looks at me and I said, you know, Fiona, I think we're going to go to the clinic and we're going to ask them to look at you, right? So I had gone through every antibiotic there was and everything, right? And nothing would stop it. Right? Go to the clinic, the lady looks at me, she goes, this is what you need. She gave me three tablets, three days, the thing completely left me, never had it again, right? So I'm like, who does this dude thinks he is? Like he could just say God will heal, right? So then before the sinus was healed, I got off my uh, bunk one night and I said, I was feeling so terrible, right? And I said, you know, God's punishing me for something. And my roommate looked at me and said, she goes, you know that's not true. I go, yeah, that, of course it's not true. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not true? <laughs> and that's what the Lord said to me. Here's what I want you to do. For the whole time you're there, forget everything you've ever learned. Shut your mouth, which was the biggest thing. That I had to, imagine me shutting my mouth. And listen to what they have to say and learn from them. And that's what I did. And that's when I learned about the faith and God does want to heal you and he wants you. Pro I was like shocked. I was like, what? I've been a Christian my whole life and nobody told me that this is ridiculous, you know? And that's when, but I believe because of how I felt about God, he felt, God feels that way about you. God sees you as the person he wrote, not as the person the devil hooked up with as a co-worker. God sees you as his co-worker on this earth, in, in this earth doing kingdom work like he would. He sees you as his co-worker, co-laborers. Isn't that what the Bible says? We're co-laborers with him. Even... We, we inherit. We have the inheritance. We share the inheritance. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, it's not a mild version of. It's the potency of. The exact measure and potency that God gave to Jesus, we get. Does that make sense to you? Like, it's not like, well, let's disperse this. <laughs> We'll disperse it out, you know. Our gifts, our callings, the things that we have been equipped to do, that's what has its place. But when it comes to love, when it comes to access to the power of God, you have access to the whole thing. You know, I said to my worship team, to the, our worship team, Signature Worship, on Sundays and Wednesdays, if we have time that we didn't run over and practice, we, I give a little exhortation. And one of the things I said to them recently is, have you ever commanded the things God created? Like, tell it what to do. Like, have you ever in your life decided, you know, it should rain on Tuesdays and Fridays, at night, starting from this time to that time, so that the clouds can relieve themselves, but it's not allowed to rain. Have you ever thought about doing that? Because you know what? We were given dominion over these things, right? And if you, so, but, but you, are, you have this urge to dominate things. So if you haven't been practiced in dominating the things that you're supposed to dominate, you're going to have an urge to dominate the people around you and we were never authorized to dominate other humans because they all have free will we all have free will 
But then you're going to be left with a void because you're supposed to dominate. So my question, ladies, is what are you dominating? What have you been deceived into not taking authority over? If you have the same problem at work for 20 years, like seriously, are you even a Christian? I'm asking you. If the same co-worker is overriding you and they are not born again, like, who are you following? Does that make sense? Examine your love for God and see what you have attached it to and remove the attachment and have a relationship directly with him so that when that, and it's usually a problem that you attach it to, by the way, it's how toxic relationships start. They have problems with some other person, so they get together and either they carry the problem through for the rest of their marriage Or if the problem gets solved, then what do they do now? Their usefulness of the other person just went away. Do you see? And then guess what happens next? Control. Because you have to be taken back to that place that you can be handled. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, I'm going to read it to you. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. What if you decided that you were going to say in your life, I am the Lord's servant. Everything he said about me is coming true. Hmm? What if when you don't know what to say, when somebody's coming at you really sharp, you say, you know what? Here's something you might have never heard. I'm the Lord's servant. Everything he says about me is coming true. One of the things they teach you in self-defense is the element of surprise. Does that sound pretty surprising? Nobody would have ever said that to them. I can guarantee you that. Right? Do you know that the thing God wrote about your life is in every cell of your body? It's embedded. You know how they embed things on websites? They embed it. When you you copy a YouTube video to share, they say, do you want to embed it? You contain the book that was written about you. So your voice, has been designed to perform the action of what you're supposed to do when you release faith as you're saying it. So I believe that when I speak, I plant seeds in people's lives for purpose and they hear my voice ringing in their head when they're going to go off off script, like, You didn't know that before you started listening to me. Now you know. And the tone of my voice is designed to arrest certain types of activities. And I know that. So when people attack me for being me, 
I know from which spirit they operate. They're either the one that has the spirit or they're being controlled by the person with that spirit. You understand? So, I'm going to close with this. You learned something? So, I don't think I said much of my notes. I mean, write down Luke 138 and say what Mary said. If you look in the beginning of that chapter, don't say what Zachariah said. Okay. I'm going to show you something. Is this all of them? But there's no journals here, right? Okay. How many did I write? Okay. So I'm going to be 50 in July. Shocking, but I'm, I'm shocked, but we're there. All right. <laughs> there we are. And 21 of those 50 years have been here in this place that chews women up and spit them out. And I refuse to be boiled. Thank you very much. And even though my personality shifted, I have it back. So it's pretty potent. So whatever you thought before, just sound the alarm because it's about to get worse because now I have the doctorate, which is what I should have had when we first arrived. If I, had, if I had obeyed God, I would have been Dr. Fiona when we showed up here, which tells me God needed Dr. Fiona here. So the master's Fiona was getting beat up because she was in disobedience. She hadn't fully equipped herself. But Dr. Fiona is here now. Thank you. So the Lord showed me that I needed to purge myself of the titles that I used to have in the past and adapt Dr. Fiona, right? Because I was having a hard time. I was like, oh, you know, I want to go around and call me Dr. Fiona, Dr. Fiona, you know. And he said, like, so who gave you the instruction? And I went, oh, <laughs> it sure wasn't me. I'll tell you that. 30 hours a week of writing. Nope, that wasn't me. I would have quit halfway if it was me. But because it was you, I kept going. So Dr. Fiona in Palmyra, Pennsylvania, is a shock to the enemy and his plans. Right? And I know that now. And the personality that goes with that doctor is blossoming quite well. But I want to show you in the 21 years of attack on my life, these books were written that changed many women around the world. And men. Men Men read my books. And the first book I wrote was written when Josiah was three months old. It was about three weeks before a lady's tea, which was happening in April. And the Lord said to me one day, I am, I'm nursing a three-month-old kid. I just gave birth. I'm pretty much like in la-la land half the time because like, I don't know if you nurse, but you get tired when the whole thing's done. You want to take a nap, right? So, and he nursed every hour. So I was pretty much a zombie, but hey, so, see how big and strong he is? Yep. So, so the Lord said to me, I, I, I don't even know if I was praying, honestly. I, I just heard, the Lord just said, you need to write a book before this lady's tea 
or else somebody's going to commit suicide and their blood, will, their blood will be on your hands. I went, oh my God. I got up and I went, Doug, in the other room. I said, hey, Doug, um, I'm going to be writing a book. <laughs> he goes, he goes, you're going to write a book? Okay. And I have to have it ready for the tea. What? You're going to write a book before the tea? How many pages? I don't know. I guess 100 pages. What? You're going to write a 100-page book before the late? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Okay, so I just told him that because he is going to have, like, you know. So I literally got my laptop. I never wrote a book in my life. Don't know how. You, you know what my block was? My block was I didn't know how to get it published. So I quickly realized I have two weeks to get this book here, published in here. So I went online. I went, publish a book in two weeks. <laughs> That's what I did. So this, this printing company came up that said, we publish your books in two weeks. I went, oh, this is great. So I contacted them. I said, how do I get my book published in two weeks? They said, well, just send us the manuscript and the cover and everything, and we'll print it for you. And send. I said, well, how do I know the size? They go, oh, we have templates. You could, I said, great. I downloaded the template and typed into the template, the book. So I would nurse Josiah and just type. I'll be like, it'll just be a couple minutes. I was like, and like two hours later, he's already took his nap and did his second feeding. I'm still typing. And Doug, I remember Doug would just come like gently release him out of my arms as I would just keep typing because there was no way I was going to have somebody's blood on my hands. So I finished the book in time to get it to the print place and for them to send it back. Never edited it. I didn't even edit it myself. I just wrote. I never looked back to see what I wrote. Like I just kept writing. I mean, could you imagine? I'm writing a book while I'm sleep deprived nursing my child like this is how this first book was written so several looked at oh my gosh so this book i'm gonna tell you something in this book at the beginning of every chapter is a quote from me right remember i don't know how to write books so I just thought, well, I remember seeing books where people put quotes, you know, the chapter. And since I don't have any trusted authors that I could think of, you know, I'll just do a quote myself. <laughs> All right. So I did the book. I, I like hundreds some copies sold at the tea, which I was happy about because I was like, that means it's going to hit whoever it was supposed to, you know, whatever. I still to this day, 11 years later, have no idea whose life it saved. Like I really don't. And I just did my assignment, right? Well, of course, there were so many errors in this. I mean, like bad, like grammar. You talk about circular sentences. These were like, these were like housing development of sentences, you know, like bad. I was fully aware of it. But here is a key to obeying God. You cannot be bothered about your embarrassment. You have to follow the instructions at the level you are. Right? So here's what happened. So this young lady and her husband were in our church at the time, and they were just passed through folks because they were here for a temporary assignment um, concerning his work, and then they would go back to where they came from, right? And she, you know, I'm excited about my first book. <laughs> Terrible. Well, I'm excited. And she says to me, well, you know, uh, my pastor... He just wrote a book, and his book is just really awesome. 
And uh, it's just odd. I've never seen somebody quote themselves in their own book. Right? <laughs> so I said, oh, that's so great for him. And she said, and he published his book through Amazon. And I went, oh, ding, ding, ding. Amazon publishes books. So guess what I did Sunday after church? I went home and looked up Amazon publishing. And that's how I published every other book I ever wrote. Because then I found out I could buy my own ISBNs. Because that was my other issue. How do you get an ISBN for the book? I figured out, yeah, from a person kind of mocking me in a, a nice lady smiley way. You know? Well, yeah. Use every information the devil gives you against him. Mm-hmm. Always. Yeah, so this was my first book. It has since been edited. <laughs> and people can read it nicely now. It's all good. First book. Second book, You Can Be Fearless. There's a concept nobody believed. It's more believable today. Third book, The Confident You. Is that in here? Somewhere. I don't see it. Anyway. The Confident You is my third book. I don't know what I'm doing on my microphone. Um, oh, here it is. Right? And then I don't remember which one came after that. But my latest book that I just did is called Removing Blind Spots. If you have not gotten this book, get it. Because I point out blind spots, which is another word to say deceptions. And you can identify what they are and then follow the pattern. It's kind of like a formula. Right? Um, And then I made some journals. But here's what I want you to look at too. I did the self-talk devotional last year. Here's what I did. Last year when I was doing that whole thing with my uh, doctorate, you know, and that four weeks, that I was just like waiting. I, I didn't know what would happen. You know, I'm waiting. I knew what would happen because I'm saying what would happen, but I didn't know who would be the blessed person for me to help, right? So I said, you know, I didn't think I'd get to write a book this year, but I guess what? I'm going to write a book. So I wrote this book, and it's called Self-Talk Devotional. I took scriptures, and I took the parts that you should say. You know there's some scriptures that's just describing, like if you say John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to steal. I, I don't, I'm going to say that. That's, okay, we already know that. Thank you. I'm going to say, Jesus came that I can have life and life more abundantly. That's my confession. Yeah. I don't want to tell my mind, guess what? The thief is going to come. And he's going to steal. And yeah, I don't care to know that. I already know that. We got that. But this is what I'm going to say, right? So that's how I wrote this. So I encourage people to record it on their phones in their own voice and play it at the end of the day. So it can wipe out everybody else's words about you that don't agree with what you think about yourself. That's what this book does. I just did all this to brag about God and what he can allow you to do when everybody else wish you would die and you just don't go away. You just keep showing back up every year with another book okay do you see ladies you can do this 
You can do. Doesn't this look like a certain president we used to have? Gosh, I'm getting so good at that personality. I love it. Yeah. I'm the greatest of all time. I'm the, you've never seen anything so great. But the reason we could say that is because of who is backing us up with power. You understand what I'm saying? Get used to talking good about yourself. When you talk bad about yourself, it's wicked. Oh, that's what I want to show you. One more thing and then we're going to go. You're, I know you're hungry. We're, eating is next, so we're good. Uh, Psalm 139.23. That's what I want you to look at. That's when I, I got distracted about my long hair and stuff. <laughs> I mean, I bet the devil is so mad that I even preach. Well, that was his problem when I first came. And the funny thing is I had never preached a sermon yet in the church. And the devil was mad and attacking me that women aren't supposed to preach. And I thought to myself, well, that's odd. I didn't preach yet. (laughs) Oh, my God. You have so much power that if you only knew. I worked for a, um, a company that helped power plants renew their license. And so the hydroelectric dams, you know, where they have all the power comes. And I, I would be their editor. Can you imagine me? I was the editor. This is funny, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> I was the editor of these, docu- these articles that these guys were writing that would be scientific studies, which would be the type of things I had to research when I was doing my doctor. Oh, my gosh. God had the whole thing put together. But anyway. Um, and I remember reading about the kilowattage and all this thing of power that would come out of one dam and all and all of a sudden, one day, the Lord said, do you realize you have more power than that in you? I went, oh, my God. I got more power than a hydroelectric dam. Yeah. <laughs> and the particular one I was looking at was the New York one that, that, teams, that supplies some of the electricity for Canada. I'm like, this dam is supplying two countries with power. And you're telling me, yes, it's in the words you speak. Okay, let's go. 139.23. I had it and then I removed it. (sighs) This was good for me. I don't know about you. All right. Search me thoroughly, O God, and know my heart. Try and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked or hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So the Lord had me go to that scripture recently, like this year, and he says, ask me to do that. I went, oh, yes. So I said, Lord, search me. And if there is any wicked way in me, get it out. And from now on, you have permission to remove it. Like, I don't have to say it again. Uh, You have open permission to get wicked ways out of me. Now, right away, everybody's like, oh, my God, what wickedness has Pastor Fiona been doing? Well, here's the thing. A wicked way is any way any direction that has been put in you that's not from God. So what I, and the Lord gave me an understanding that because of where I grew up, because of hair, because of the things that people attacked me with in my life, they planted wicked way seeds in me. And when the enemy creates the right conditions, 
I am liable to produce fruit from it by being sidetracked and going in a different way. That's the reason why I was having problems letting God take care of my enemies and not interfering with it. You know that's a poverty mindset, by the way? Wanting to save for the wrong reason and save them. That's a whole different story. So um, (laughs) I prayed that prayer, and I felt so purged. You would not believe it. And then I repented for even having, I repent for a lot of things. When God corrects something in me, I repent for the subject matter because I don't want any residue to be left in me. Not that I was even sinning with it or I I had fulfilled the action, but for me, it's a clean slate. I like clean slates. I like the thing to just be washed and let's start from fresh. You know what I'm saying? And that gives you a refreshing. So when you speak and if you have to correct sharply, your love is not, does not have residue in it of hurt and pain and your own condemnations. It's sharp with purity. Do you understand what I'm saying? The pure love of God can come out of you. So I could stop somebody mid-sentence and tell them, well, here's the solution, and they not feel um, ashamed. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it, it, those things put together, I would encourage you to do that, to, to make that a prayer for yourself. And let any wicked thing that was planted by the enemy, any bad report that you're living off of, 40 years in the wilderness, they lived off of a bad report. And the Lord called it wicked. Do you understand? But God still provided for them. He still kept them. But I don't want that. Do you know what I'm saying? So you, you ask God to do this for you. Are we good? Yes. All right. So we're going to, um, I'm done. Thank God. She's done. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Patty is going to teach us after lunch. We're going to have lunch now. Everybody okay? Yes. Everybody's looking at me like, <gasps> I want to tell you about Blessed Turn Home because you're going to see pictures of me and the kids during lunch. And